Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to today's session on Two Points of View at Two. I'm Rex Black, president of RBCS, a worldwide testing and quality assurance firm serving clients ranging from small startups to Fortune 20 global enterprises. Since 1994, we have delivered insight and confidence to hundreds of clients around the world. We have a team of international consultants that deliver customized training, consulting, and expert services for companies that are looking to improve their test and quality assurance practices. Of course, for the last year, we've been doing all of that remotely, but uh, we're still international and in that we have clients around the world, even though none of us are going anywhere. Um, I am speaking of people not going anywhere. I'm happy to introduce and welcome uh, J.B. Mitchell to this presentation on test automation and metrics. Uh, we're going to talk about various kinds of metrics that have been suggested for automation. Um, Jamie's got uh, about 30 years of automation experience and uh, struggle with the demand for metrics for management most of his career. And he says most of the metrics he's been forced to collect were, in his opinion, not only worthless, but also misleading and subject to manipulation by those who wanted to prove their point, no matter what that point was. Um, there's actually a name for that effect. Um, if you have any questions during the course of the webinar, please submit them throughout the presentation via your webinar interface, but please note that they are answered only at the end. So let's, uh, let's jump right into it here, if I can get the screen to do what it's supposed to do. So there's the intro, which you just heard. So Jamie, over to you. Well, thank you, Rex. Uh, I am uh a practitioner. I'm not uh, nearly at the uh, high executive level like you are, <laughs> but uh, I have been forced uh, for the last 30 years to uh, work with uh, metrics, and uh, I um, I struggle to find any metrics other than uh, are the defects that we threw out to production fewer than last time. That's the only one I've ever found that really works well. Um, I started out with this quote, uh, what gets measured gets managed, because I've been told that probably 50 times in my career. Um, I did some research on it when you asked me to, uh, to uh, speak at this, and, and what I noticed was all kinds of people saying way back when in 1956 that this is ridiculous, that what gets measured gets managed even when it's pointless to measure and manage it, and even if it harms the purpose of the organization uh, to do so. Um, I have a lot of reasons for this. Uh, Rex, uh, uh, do you have a, a stand on this, uh, this particular quote? Might be muted. As usual, the COVID, the COVID side effect, talking to yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think um, my, my observation of this is that, you know, it's a, more of what gets measured gets done and then what doesn't get measured doesn't get done. And then you have the complicating factor of what's variously called the Westinghouse effect that I alluded to earlier, which is people often will figure out a way to make the metric say what quote unquote good looks like if they feel that there is something in it for them, even if they don't know there's something in it or whether there's something in it for them, if they just are worried I might get rewarded and or punished depending on what happens with this metric. So I better make this metric look the way that it is supposed to, to look. So I'm, I'm always uh, very, very careful with that uh, though, you know, being, having to deal with management types um, and also being a believer that I wanna have 
quantitative knowledge, I do tend to probably put more stock in metrics than you do, though I have a similar level of skepticism and I guess ire that I would direct against misuse of metrics or bad metrics. So that'd be my take on it. Yeah, I, I can uh, agree. When it comes to testing, I really don't have a problem with metrics. I've found that many of them are useful. Uh, in preparation for this, I uh, watched your two points with Dawn and uh, uh, I thought she said it really well. You said it really well, you know, that uh, there's lots of ways to misuse, but that doesn't mean that they're useless. Uh, could you hit the next slide, please? Yep, there you are. Whoops, no, you were supposed to be. And then what did it do? Uh -huh. Didn't change. There we go. Now okay. it worked. Okay. Uh, I have, uh, I, I created the uh, advanced test automation engineer syllabus for RBCS. Um, I've taught it for a couple of different uh, uh, people. And these are the metrics uh, that the auto advanced test automation engineer syllabus says that we should be collecting. They say these are the important ones. And as I go through these, I find that I can game any one of them if I want. Uh, I want to. I want to tell a quick story. I was. Uh, I did a consulting gig in New Jersey for seven months, about I don't know six, seven years ago, and uh, this uh, uh, this organization had uh, gotten permission. The the test manager was an excellent manager, and he knew a lot about automation. Uh, and he set up a he set up a, a a project. He brought in three very good automators, very good engineers, uh, who are going to write the automation. And uh, it was a complete failure uh, <laughs> because in order to get the money, he had to promise that within one year he would have X number of automated scripts running. And uh, this is an organization, uh, a high profile organization that had no testing. Uh, all of their mm. testing was done by the developers. Uh, and uh, mm -hmm. after six months, uh, they had a bunch of scripts, but they didn't test anything. Yeah, I've seen that. Uh, they, they were absolute garbage. Uh, I, I spent my first two days on site looking at this stuff. And I went to this manager and I said, what the heck? You know, this is not <laughs> testing. This makes the screen flash and it makes it look pretty. And it probably looks really impressive to someone who doesn't know anything about testing, but it's not testing. And he said, well, we brought you in in order to try to talk to the people, uh, the developers. Uh, and to make the long story short, the developers didn't know how they tested. Uh, to the extent that they tested, what happened was their stuff was really brittle. And every time they made a change, it broke. And I would try to find out from them uh, how to test it so we could <laughs> automate it. And they didn't know. They of course, because they're had, developers. So this is a, this is a case where he, the, the manager knew that he was tying his hands. He was so, he was so uh, interested in getting the budget that he sold his soul promising all of these tests that couldn't be done because they didn't have any testing to begin with. So <laughs> the, the point of this story is about half of the places that I've gone to uh, when I was a consultant working for someone else, 
but half the places didn't have any testing in place or didn't have sufficient testing in place, but they wanted automation. And so uh, that's actually why uh, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, I started my own company so I could say no. (laughs) Now, that has nothing to do with metrics. But the fact is that when you even if you have good testing, a good tester. Well, let me put it this way. You uh, I I know you've read The Art of Software Testing. You probably read it a number of times. Glenford Myers was a Mm -hmm. genius in 1979 when he wrote that. I think we've gotten to the point that testing is no longer an art. It's almost an engineering feat, but automation is an art. You know, I woke up this morning. I had been dreaming. I've been, I've been thinking a lot about this because I'm not really good when I'm on presentations and I've been rehearsing in my head and everything. So far else. so good, Jamie. <laughs> I woke up this morning and I realized that in my last hour or so of sleep, I had come up with eight perfect scripts for a system that I tested 20 years ago. <laughs> and, and I was thinking about this and I realized there is no such thing as a perfect script because automation tools, even now, I mean, I've been doing it 30 years, but even now automation tools are stupid. I think, mm-hmm. I think you could say that your dumbest tester is still a quantum leap smarter than the best automation tool there is. So When you look at all of these different things, these estimates, the effort to build automated tests, the effort to analyze automated test incidents, the effort to maintain automated tests, the time to execute automated tests, that one I can figure out. But Mm -hmm. the rest of these things, when you're estimating effort, the best you can do is a wag, just a wild ass guess, because you cannot tell for sure, no matter the tool that you're using, and I've used almost all of the commercial tools. Uh, last couple of years, I've been using Selenium or Selenium, as uh, you had Jose say. Uh, and excellent tools, excellent tools that allow you to do all kinds of stuff. But you still have to, you still have to deal by hand programming when the script doesn't do what it's supposed to do or the system doesn't react when it's supposed to or how it's supposed to. And so, you know, a human tester can run a test and on the next slide, I think we talk about EMTE, which I really hate. Uh, I think it's the next one. Well, actually it is the next one. Do you want to see that one? uh, Yeah, might as well. Okay. Yeah, benefits. The measures that we had talked about at one time. If you go to the next slide, EMT is the uh, estimated manual test effort. Uh, Automated test would take four hours to run manually, then the EMT is four hours. And I've had an awful lot of managers say, well, what's the EMTE? What's the EMTE? And it, it drives me nuts because all of these estimates that we're talking about are guesses. And every test is going to be different. If uh, So they say, we'll take the average. But there is no average because it depends on whether the developers have done clever things with the application that the tool's not going to understand. It depends on uh, whether your environment is stable or not. It depends on all of these different things. It depends on the developers not trying to hinder the automation, which <laughs> probably isn't as much of a problem now as it used to be, but it used to be a huge <laughs> problem. When I'm estimating these things, I can game them. 
I can say, well, you know, if I if I want to get the money, if I want to get the, the job, if I want to get the gig, I'll say, well, we can do this in three hours and we can do this in four hours and we can do this. But it's a lie. It's all it's all uh, a guess which will be thrown away the first time I run into a problem with the actual automation strips. Now, ISTQB in their automated test engineer, uh, automation test engineer, whatever it is, um, they say they talk about building a task, building a test automation solution, which is a framework which is going to make it easier to handle all of these problems. And that's a great idea. There's no doubt about it. I call mine the framework. It's just a framework that's going to handle a bunch of stuff. But the problem is, is that that test automation solution constantly needs to be updated and mm -hmm. changed as the applications change, as you get a new version of something, uh, uh, the task is going to break and trying to estimate how much all of this is going to take is just impossible. And so to kind of to wrap this up, the idea that I am giving metrics to management that say, we're going to be at this place uh, three months from now, and at this place six months from now, at best, I'm going to give them an estimate that is going to uh, uh, allow me to get the funding in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And six months from now, when I'm not on track, and they're going to want to know why I'm going to have a whole list of excuses. I've got this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. <laughs> and I know, that, I know that's exactly what's going to occur. Because you start running these things, like I said, your dumbest tester is smarter than your best automation. <laughs> when a human tester sees something occur, they can make a choice right then. Uh, maybe it fails because an extra dialog box came up and the tool doesn't know anything about it. And I can build code that says, okay, if an extra box comes up, handle it. But the problem is, is that my stuff gets so complex because it's software, it also breaks. And now I have to go back and maintain it. I've got to you know, update it. I've got to make all the changes. I'll go back to what I said at the beginning. I believe that the only real metric that you can collect from automation is how many defects are we putting out into production? Because it should be less than when we weren't doing automation. You, we've had this discussion many times, Rex, uh, uh, you know, what is a test? I've had people tell me that an automated test is uh, five lines of code, and other people will say, no, it's 5,500 lines of code. It's, you know, how granular are we going to be? Are we going to break up those manual test cases into multiple automated tests? Uh, how much extra stuff are we have to add in order to make it work? Uh, I can look at the number of false fails. Do I count it for one false fail that happens when the same thing occurs in 500 tests? Or again, to me, I get frustrated every time I talk about this. You can hear it in my voice. I'm frustrated now <laughs> because I can't think of what management wants me to tell them other than to lie to them. So and I guess my, my, my thought on that would be... Um, you know, yes, if, if the, if what, if what they're looking for is to be lied to for sure, you know, you can do that though. You could also do it in a way that's not 
all right? Like for example, the effort to build the automated tests and to analyze not just the automated incidents, but actually all of the, the costs associated with running the tests and the cost to maintain. Uh, yeah, those are challenging to estimate, but you can measure them after the fact. Um, oh, it, you can also measure turnaround time. And I found those to be useful. Um, the false positive, false negative counts, I definitely like to look at those because, you know, if they got the high false positive counts with your automation, then something screwy. Um, code coverage, I would agree, is pretty, hey, I, I mean, if you're talking about unit tests, automated unit tests, code coverage is fine. But if you're talking about system level tests, then it's kind of like, well, what you're supposed to be focusing on is the functionality of the system at the system <laughs> level, not, you know, how much of the code you've run, right? Oh, I absolutely no. agree. Let me let me uh, 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 let me clarify because I guess I wasn't really clear. Uh, a lot of these metrics I do measure. Uh, for example, uh, anytime a person's working on a script, that time goes into the test management tool. <clears throat> but it's not something I give management. It's something that I use myself. I want to know how much time was spent on this script for all of the times that we've had to change it, for all of the times we had false positives. That all goes into there, and I use those to to uh, to manage the team. Right, right. The difference between a tactical metric and a strategic metric is something that 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 people don't always get, and so you get this problem where there is this tactical metric that's being used to manage the work that ends up bubbling up to senior management, and they glom onto it because that's what they've got. But it's like, yeah, but that's not what you were trying to accomplish, right? What are you trying to accomplish with the automation? You know, that, that's a, that to me is a big problem with just metrics in general is that this metric is just this free floating thing that is being measured and reported and people are trying to make it do one thing or another. And it's like, well, yeah, but what are, what are you exactly trying to accomplish, right? Tell me that and then tell me how, how you're going to measure whether you're effectively and or efficiently accomplishing that thing. You know, there's, there's a strategic metric that's of value, right? But if it's just, you know... Uh, I have this measurement and I have this idea of what good looks like. And so I'm going to try to make that happen. That's, that's, that definitely was where you get into trouble. Yeah. It, uh, uh, that is the one, the, it's the strategic metrics that I hate because I always feel like I'm lying and I don't want to do that. Uh, I have had, I've had some real good successes at automation. Uh, 1996, uh, I automated an application for the company that I was working for at the time before I became a consultant. Um, I was using uh, the first version, I, one of the first versions of Segway's QA partner. And uh, I was able to automate our application. Uh, it was a Windows application. I was able to automate it and then test it in six different languages where the, our company before we, uh, before I did that, our company, after we went, uh, uh, we, after we released in America, we sent it to Europe and they spent seven months translating it and doing all that stuff. And then they would release <laughs> it in Europe. And uh, because they didn't test it after they made changes, it would fail. Um, I was able to automate it, test it in all the languages we could release in Europe and America at the same time. And my company told me that we made somewhere in the neighborhood of a million and a half dollars from doing that. Okay. From being early. And, 
And that's a good ROI. This is tremendous. This is this is what makes me really excited about automation. (laughs) But if you had asked me to uh, provide metrics before, to give estimates before, strategic estimates, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah. Well, what I found with that, what is the benefit? What's the ROI? Right. Getting to this this slide here um, is. yeah, you know, like I, I've, I'm able to measure that. Well, usually it's it's based on well, what is the organization trying to accomplish? If it's, you know, reduction in net testing effort, then I, you know, I'll come up with the number. And then, what typically happens is that they, I immediately get asked, "Is that good? Is that a good number? Is that a good number?" Like one of my clients, I came up, I was like, "Okay, your return on investment is 107 percent, basically for every hour that you're spending on your automation." This is taking into account the time to develop, time to execute, time to maintain the whole thing, that's saving you a net about an hour and whatever 7% is, you know, five minutes, uh, hour and five minutes of manual testing effort. And they're like, well, is that good? And I said, look, this, this is really simple. If it's greater, if your ROI on automation is greater than zero, then that's good. <laughs> and if it's less than zero, <laughs> then you have a problem but you're in good company because there are plenty of organizations out there that have an ROI that's less than zero. They just don't know it. Um, so in your case, you're, you're positive and, and that's, that's good, you know? So uh, it, yeah, you have to sort of resist this, this, you know, Oh, the ROI should be this, or another one of my pet peeves is the percentage of tests automated should be this. The worst, the worst of that being the percentage of tests automated should be hundred percent. Right. It's like, oh, oh so you, now you're saying that any test which cannot be automated is not worth running because that's ultimately what that means, right? If you're saying uh, we have to achieve 100% test automation, all that's saying is as soon as the engineers figure out uh, I'm just not going to be able to automate this test or it's going to be too much of a pain in the ass, they just drop it. And it's like, oh, yay, look at that. You know, our denominator, <laughs> our denominator got smaller and our percentage went up. That's a, that's a you know, that's a win, right? Uh, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it looks like we do have some questions coming in. So let me, uh, let me go ahead and just pop the advertisement up here while we do one. So it's an interesting one from Sean. Um, so Sean says, can you talk more about why you think the only metric that matters is the number of defects discovered in production being less than before? Um, and he asks, how do you measure this? Is it based on releases or is it time-based? Uh, I think it's both. Uh, I think a lot of people look at 30 days, 60 days, or 90 days after release to find out how many defects. Uh, there's DDE, a, there's, basically, right? Yeah. Yeah, the DDE or DRE, I guess I've heard it both ways, uh, defect removal efficiency. Um, I want it to be, I want us to be better than before. I'll tell you the truth. This is, this is what I would tell my clients once I started my own company. The reason to automate is not to find more defects. The reason to automate is to allow your manual testers to find more defects. Mm -hmm. Take all of the drudgery and the crap that they have to do and offload it to the automation so that they can do the really good defect finding that they're capable of. I'm a huge believer in manual testers. Uh, Automation is simply a way to make them more effective. So the DDE so, you're measuring here is not the DDE of the automation, which of course is going to be pretty low because the automation is, 
yeah, the automation shouldn't find many because it's regression testing, right? If you're you're finding a lot of regression defects, you got some significant design issues with your application, right? So right. yeah, so you're you're yeah, basically you're going to say the automation okay. helps the testers be more effective bug finders because they're able to spend their time looking at things more productive than than regression testing. That's that's my belief that yeah. that's where automation fits in. Yeah. Yeah, as far as the release-based versus time-based, I, yeah, I think you kind of answered that question. I uh, Time-based is the easiest one to do. I've had some clients try to do it that's release-based, and you can, depending on how your releases work. But unless you have a really well-organized release management process, what I've found is that determining which specific release a specific defect leaked out in is not something most organizations are going to be able to figure out. So in other words, maybe it's been in there for a couple of releases and it was just found. Yeah. And then, uh, so you're not going to, yeah. And then that, then the more frequently you release, the bigger the problem there. Right. Or if you have like one of my clients, you have these, this concept of major releases, minor releases and patches. And the amount of testing is varies from one to the other. And, and, you know, they were like, yeah, we're going to figure out what our DDE is per release. I'm like, I don't think you are, actually. I think you, <laughs> you can try that, but I think what you're going to find is that that it's just going to be way too difficult to figure out how to properly account for the defects. But to me, that doesn't really matter. I mean, as long as you got a reliable DDE, you know, um, sure, it's going to vary from one release to the next to some extent, but you know, probably not enough that, that it matters. You're not, you know, you change your behaviors based on that. Well, the important thing is, uh, you know, year after year, it should be going down. We should be getting better. All right. Yeah. If DDE goes up good job. production defects go down. Yeah. 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 Uh, I got a question here from uh, Bill. Um, Bill uh, asks, any comments on the code MRI product from Silverthread? Um, which, Bill, I'm going to trust that this is not your employer, though you'd be pretty bold if it is, because who knows what we're going to say. Uh, product from Silverthread that, among other metrics, claims to generate some ROI value. Some Harvest, Harvard Business School people helped design it. Well, it must be great then, because, you know, it's crimson. Do you have any experience with that? I don't. I, I, uh, I don't either. I've never had any of my clients mention it. I kind of uh, I kind of have a problem with ROI ever since I attended uh, Star Canada, and Dorothy Graham uh, gave a, a pitch on ROI, and I think she kind of hit it out of the ballpark. You know what I talk about is value. Do we add value or not? Uh, her her explanation, if I remember correctly, was that uh, the bean counters and the people in management look at cash when they talk about return on investment mm -hmm. and obviously there's no cash coming back from the automation. You're not, uh, you know, it's not an ATM that ka-chings a, a couple of bucks out at you every time you run it. We can get value. I look at that value of are those manual testers getting more time to do what they need to do. Uh, so uh, I haven't tried that particular tool. Sorry. I, yeah, I haven't either. Um, Okay, we got. I think we got time for another question here. Bring us to the bottom of the hour. Uh, it's from James. Um, good turnout from our friends here in San Antonio. 
Um, has the evolution of software development from waterfall to agile and now the continuous integration, continuous deployment changed how you do test automation? So that's a good one for you, Jamie. Absolutely. Uh, in my mind, uh, and again, I'm, I'm pretty well set in my ways in this, um, the uh, automation, I think, should be done off of the Agile team. It should be done by a test team, automation team, uh, uh, building tests that are referenced to them by the, uh, by the, uh, uh, the testers on the Agile team. Uh, I, I've never figured out how uh, a tester on an Agile team would have time to do automation. But uh, yeah, it, it makes it more important, I think, to have a good test automation solution or what uh, a task the way uh, that uh, ISTQB talks about uh, something where I've got uh, uh, all kinds of different uh, uh, parts to the framework, which do a lot of the helper functions in the automation. And uh, then I run the scripts by calling those functions, kind of like building the automation uh, like a tinker toy or a Lego, yeah. uh, where you take the script and the script is just calling out to the task, which is going to do the actual work, the error handling, the synchronization, all the rest of the stuff. Um, I do find that that task is more important in Agile rather than in Waterfall uh, because of the time constraints that we have uh, trying to get those scripts running so they can immediately be used in the next, uh, in the next sprint. Yeah. Yeah, um, got a comment from Bill here on our recent comment there about the silver thread. He said, not my employer, but I'd like to evaluate it uh, before we consider using it or similar products to help our manual testers. Well, I would say, Bill, um, you know, extreme skepticism should always be brought to bear on any tool vendor. Please. Um, you know, at the... <laughs> The, 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 the quantity of uh, bovine excrement that can be encountered <laughs> in the process of talking to various kinds of tool vendors about their tools and what their tools will do. I don't know, Jamie, I mean, it's, you know, my experience is it's, you know, not even measurable in metric tons. You have to have a larger scale than that. Uh, <laughs> my, my rule of thumb is it's a lie until I prove that it's not. Yeah. And not even necessarily a lie. It might just be one of these. We, we had this one situation where this worked out really well, and now we're going to promote that as typical. Right. Um, and, but, you know, what what's what is the typical situation, you know, and plus, who cares what the typical situation is like? What is what happens with us? So I have a comment from Jason here. Um, oh, you want to comment on that? I was just going to say, that's why I talk about automation as an art, because every environment is different. Every application you're going to automate is different. Every set of developers who are sending you sludge are going yeah. to be different. And uh, uh, no tool is going to work by itself. At least I haven't found one yet. No. So you bring in a tool, but then you need to customize, customize, customize everything in order to mm -hmm get something of value that can be used release after release. That's, yep. that's my experience. Yep. Well, I think that's a good place to kind of wind it down. We got a last comment from Jason here. Uh, ROI is extremely difficult to determine in development and test. 
20 years, and I won't, I won't call out your employer, Jason, but 20 years at a large organization uh, that people would know if I mentioned it, uh, has taught me that. Um, so yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, ROI, ROI is tricky. So, well, Jamie, I uh, appreciate you staying a little long on this and it uh, looks like uh, most of our, our audience was happy to spend a couple more minutes with us too. So glad, glad they were able to stick around. Um, any last points you want to make parting shots? Uh, well, thank you for the, uh, uh, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, well, thanks for coming. Thanks for doing uh, it. It's one of those things that I'm getting to the point where I'm just the old man telling you to get off my lawn, you know, <laughs> to get off my lawn. Uh, and so I, I no longer know whether uh, whether I'm just being a curmudgeon or whether 30 years has made me a cynic. Uh, but either one, <laughs> I appreciate the chance to spout off. Well, if you're standing on your lawn with an M1 carbine, uh, then you're not just being a curmudgeon, you're being Clint Eastwood because there's a famous scene in, uh, what was that, Gran Torino where he's Gran out, Torino, on his, yeah. out on his, people drive the car onto his lawn and he comes out with a, <laughs> M1, his M1 carbine from Korea and says, get the hell off my lawn. <laughs> so, as soon as you're standing on your lawn with an M1 carbine, you know you've graduated into that, uh, that particular class. So, Maybe. great. It seems to me uh, uh, too often, and this is my last point, uh, mm -hmm. uh, too often the consulting companies come in and they're willing to, to, to sell you any dream that you want to have, <laughs> just like a drug pusher. But the, the, the fact is that most of the time when they come in, they're lying to. And uh, you, you can make automation work. But if I if I had to look at how many automation projects actually add value, I would have to guess that even now in 2021, it's less than 50%. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a fair bet. I mean, I, you know, I, to me, you know, you, you, you know, how many clients can point to, how many of my clients can point to an automation effort where it is, it is substantially the same as what they initiated five years in the past, and they're satisfied with the value that they're getting out of it and haven't had to make major changes. Very, very unusual, right? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know. The horror stories are a lot more voluminous than the yeah. uh, success stories. Yeah, and if you're getting positive ROI out of something, you wouldn't need to throw it overboard in five years or less. So pretty safe bet that, you know, a lot of people are not, so. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Jamie. Uh, I want to point out that the the consulting companies that come in to lie to you, I'm, I'm going to let that pass without comment, other than to say, not us, please. So, you know, RBCS, we won't lie to you. We will, if your automation sucks, we will tell you, honestly, we, we will, <laughs> we will give you, we will give you metrics that make you uh, um, know your true situation, even if it, you know, uh, makes you kind of sad, because, rather be <laughs> rather be honest than um you know i don't well, know i've been working with you since uh, about the year 2002 and that's what i've always found for rbcs it's uh why i've hung around so long <laughs> well thank you for that that's why we're a small a small boutique consultancy as opposed to an enormous one <laughs> uh, <laughs> So on that on that cynical note, um, I will grab my uh, M1 carbine and 
say, get the hell off my webinar uh, <laughs> and, and uh, wind this all down. And I hope, uh, I hope everybody, including you, Jamie, enjoyed this free webinar from RBCS. Uh, we do these as a service to the software testing community because at RBCS, we are a not just for profit company. If you enjoy our free webinars and feel that they demonstrate solid insights into the kinds of testing challenges you face, please make RBCS your preferred software testing vendor for any and all expert services, consulting, or training. And we're happy to provide a quote for any such help you might need. Uh, contact us at info at rbcs-us.com. And if we can't help you, we'll tell you that. <laughs> we won't tell you we can't help you and then not help you. We, we will tell you honestly whether we can help you. So again, Jamie, I have all those of you who attended, thank you and uh, see you next time. See you next time.